0: Welcome to Southern Middle Tennessee today on WKOM and WKRM Radio, your hometown news broadcasting from Columbia, Tennessee. I'm your host, Tom Price. Today is Tuesday, February 28th, and we start with local news. U.S. Representative Andy Ogles said this week he misspoke about the degree he received from Middle Tennessee State University, an admission that comes amid ongoing scrutiny that he has embellished his credentials and work experience. Ogles said he graduated from MTSU with a bachelor's degree in liberal studies, not the international relations degree he cited in public conversations during appearances throughout his career as mayor of Murray County, his campaign for Tennessee's 5th Congressional District seat, and now in his time in the United States House of Representatives. Ogles is facing backlash over his background amid multiple, multiple reports from News Channel 5, raising questions about his educational and work history. Ogles has called himself an economist and has said he has a background in law enforcement where he fought against international sex trafficking crimes. The media outlet's reports say there is little evidence to back up, Ogles claims. In response, Ogles issued a statement on Sunday, partially addressing the criticism. I previously stated that my degree from MTSU was in international relations. When I pulled my transcript to verify, I realized I was mistaken. My degree is in liberal studies. I apologize for my misstatement, Ogle said in a statement issued by his communications director. During my senior year of college, I transferred to MTSU to pursue a degree in political science and international relations. Due to an interfamilial matter, I dropped out of college and returned home to financially support my family during a difficult time. Though leaving school was a difficult decision, it was the right one. I would do the same thing again today, even though withdrawing left several incomplete grades that would ultimately be registered as failing, he wrote. But in the mid-2000s, o- Ogle said he finished his final semester at MTSU through the school's distance learning program in an effort to set an example for our daughter demonstrating the importance of finishing what you start, he quoted. Ogles completed coursework in order to obtain the undergraduate degree Ogles' office first gave the statement to the conservative Tennessee Star. At the time, it was my understanding I had completed my course of study in political science and international relations, he said. Last week, I requested an official copy of my transcript and learned that I was actually awarded a broader degree in liberal studies with minors in political science and English. Tennessee's 5th Congressional District has was a longtime Democratic stronghold, including all of Davidson County. But the Tennessee General Assembly's Republican supermajority redrew the district into GOP-friendly territory. The new district includes parts of Davidson, Williamson, and Wilson counties, along with rural Lewis, Murray, and Marshall counties. Ogles defeated five other Republicans in the August 4th primary and defeated Democrat Heidi Campbell in the November 8th election, flipping the seat to Republican. Since then, Ogles has made headlines. He faced criticism from fellow Republicans when he opposed the nomination of U.S. Representative Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker. Ogles voted against McCarthy for nearly a dozen rounds of voting and was captured on video in a heated exchange with McCarthy. Before Ogles headed to Washington, he left a few seared bridges with his hometown Republican Party when he withdrew from the Murray County mayoral race so close to withdrawal deadline that the party was unable to choose another Republican nominee in the Murray County general election. Ogles drew a wide and loyal Republican following in Murray County when he resisted government mandates, opposed mask requirements, and said he'd rather go to jail for his constituents rather than adhere to federal overreach during the pandemic. During Ogles' tenure as a one-term mayor before running for Congress, he'd traveled across Tennessee speaking before civic clubs and local Republican parties about his conservative views rooted in upholding the state and United States Constitution. A new Texas roadhouse held a ribbon-cutting yesterday in Spring Hill. WKRM's Mary Susan Kennedy stopped by to learn more about what they're offering.
1: This is Mary Susan Kennedy with Front Porch Radio, WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7. Today, I'm at Spring Hill for the ribbon cutting and grand opening for a fabulous new restaurant, Texas Roadhouse. I'm speaking with Adam Wesley, the marketing coach for the restaurant. Adam, congratulations.
2: Well, thank you so much. We're so excited to be a part of Spring Hill and uh, be able to come in here and impact this community in some ways. That is so awesome.
1: I've also been glancing at the menu, and it looks just really delicious. Can you tell everybody a little bit about Texas Roadhouse, the meal, as well as the beverages you
2: might serve? Absolutely. Well, Texas Roadhouse is famous for our hand-cut steaks, our fall-off-the-bone ribs, made-from-scratch side items and salad dressings fresh-baked bread, ice-cold beer, and legendary margaritas.
1: Wow, you're making me hungry and thirsty all at the same time. Let's see, we also need to know your hours of operation and your location.
2: We are located at 1065 Crossing Circle here in Spring Hill, Tennessee, right behind the Arby's and the Starbucks. Our hours of operation are going to be Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. to 10 p.m., Fridays, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m., Saturdays, 11 a.m. to 11 p.m., and Sundays, 11 a.m. to 10 p.m.
1: That is great y'all are certainly accessible and looking around here the decor just looks so fun and comfortable and attractive like a great place to have fun as well as good food and how would folks
2: get in touch with you or follow you on social media absolutely make sure that you like us on facebook we're always sharing about our community involvement and any new specials that we have going on in the restaurant i do encourage everybody to join our vip club email and text you can do that by texting tr 753 to 68984, and you'll be the first up to receive any new offers or specials that are happening in our restaurant and know of any events that we will be attending here in Spring Hill.
1: Okay, well, great. Again, Adam, congratulations. I know it's going to be a huge success. I can't wait to come spend more time. Thank you. This is Mary Susan Kennedy with Front Porch Radio.
0: Eager shoppers formed a line outside of the Memorial Building in Columbia on Saturday as early as 6.45 a.m., ready to find bargains, treasures, and surprises at the 19th Annual Kiwanis Club of Columbia Yard Sale. The sale benefits the club's long-standing reading, reading initiative, Imagination Library, which is a program that mails books to children in Columbia from birth to five years old as part of Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. Each year, the club raises thousands of dollars so that children in Murray County will have a strong reading foundation from birth for free, no matter a family's ability to pay. Most shoppers say they are happy to give to the cause while spending the afternoon searching for treasures. You never know what you're going to find, Jessie Lang said as she shopped with her sister and niece, just like they've done for five years in a row. This is an annual thing for us. We love yard sales. This event kicks off the yard sale season for us up through the weekend of Mule Day. It's the first yard sale of the year, she said. One of the items Lang said she has liked most throughout the years is a bag of golf clubs she found for her husband that matched the exact brand and type he wanted, a purchase of only $5. He still uses them, she said. Most of all, Lang said they enjoy donating to a good cause, promoting reading for the children of Murray County. Other items spied at the sale included glassware, China place settings, name-brand finds like a coach purse and an array of warm winter coats. Last year, pillbox-style hats were on display from the 1950s and 1960s, reminiscent of former First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. Shopper Judith Rummage said she has attended the sale for several years in a row. I like the hunt, she said. I love the books and I find fabric that I can use for sewing. Imagination Library Coordinator Jan McKeel said the Kiwanis Club of Columbia is the longest-serving continuous donor of the Murray County program. We are thrilled that some people come out not just to shop, but because they know what cause they are benefiting, McKeel said. Folks support our purpose, and it's a wonderful community event that many look forward to every year. According to McKeel, the Kiwanis Club has funded books for over 17,000 children from birth to five years old in Murray County since the program's commencement. The total number of books mailed since May of 2005 when the program was launched in Murray County is 768,042 books. McKeel said the event is like a homecoming every year. There are people I see each year just at this sale, and we look forward to seeing each other. I love seeing the familiar faces and the friends I've made, she said. Kiwanis Club of Columbia President Charlie Plunkett said the event has become a staple in many households. I have people come up to me and say this is their favorite event of the year, Plunkett said. Any items left over at the conclusion of the sale will be donated to the Rotary Club's annual yard sale this spring, and leftover books will benefit programs in the Murray County Jail. The Spring Hill Board of Mayor and Aldermen revisited one of the city's most historic sites this month and determined whether it should continue its partnership with the Battle of Franklin Trust. In May of 2021, the city entered into a partnership with the Battle of Franklin Trust, who was appointed to oversee historic Ripavilla. The initial contract, which was set up for three years, was at the stipulation that Ripavilla one day becomes a self sustaining entity. However, Ripavilla has not been able to become self sufficient during that time. A new contract presented to the Board of Mayor and Aldermen would be good for another three years and would include an annual $50,000 allotment from the city to be used for things like maintenance, repairs, and daily needs. Battle of Franklin Trust director Eric Jacobson said, While Ripa Villa hasn't reached its self-sustaining goal, it could likely break even by the end of the contract's third year. In addition, attendance at Ripa Villa remains to be better than ever, despite the fact much of the home's interior items and furniture were removed prior to the Battle of Franklin Trust taking over operations. Our attendance during the first full year of the contract was higher than the site has ever seen. Revenues higher from tourism than the site has ever had, Jacobson said. Our attendance is approaching what Carter House was 20 years ago. I can't imagine what it will be in 10 to 20 years, he said. There have also been a number of structural repairs required, such as water damage, replacing copper wiring, which was another major expense during the contract's first year. As far as programming, Ripavilla has also expanded its tours, which now includes telling the story of the enslaved people who once lived there, which has been a topic the Battle of Franklin Trest and many others have felt hasn't been properly addressed over the years. The story of the enslaved is finally getting its long, often ignored attention, and I hope we can keep the bar moving forward," Jacobson said. While the battle, I'm sorry, while the board of mayor and aldermen ultimately approved the contract, some aldermen were not willing to support it. Namely, aldermen William Pomeroy and John Canapari. To them, the contract has not been sufficiently met in terms of Ripavilla becoming self-sufficient. This was also a stipulation that might have caused potential bidders to back out when it came time to find a new managing organization for the property. Since being self-sufficient is not necessarily a requirement, their thoughts were whether to put Ripavilla's management duties up for bid, and if a new organization can be brought on to take over the Battle of Franklin Trust's duties. I believe that scared off some potential bidders from Ripavilla to manage it. I believe if they knew if they came back to the city to ask for more funds, we might have had more bidders come in to manage Ripavilla, Pomeroy said. I'd like to maybe open it back up to bidding and let it be known that you don't have to be self-sustaining. That's not part of it, he said. Alderman Matt Fitterer argued that finding a new partner at this time might not be beneficial for the city or the site, and that despite setbacks and not meeting what was originally intended in the initial contract, the Battle of Franklin Trust has proven to be a worthy partner. It is, in my opinion, extremely short sighted to think we can potentially chase a better partner when we have a proven partner who's executing at a high level standing right in front of us, Fitterer said. The item was ultimately approved with a five to three vote, with Canna Perry, Pomeroy, and Alderman Brent Murray opposing. Columbia State Community College's prior art gallery will feature the traveling exhibit Portraits of Hope, Inspirational Stories from the Lovelady Center. The exhibit, which portrays women and staff from the Lovelady Center in Birmingham, Alabama, will be open to the public from March 13th until April 7th. The Lovelady Center is a faith-based drug and alcohol addiction program for women in Birmingham founded by Brenda Lovelady Spawn in 2004 with the goal of giving back hope to women affected by addiction. It started with just a few women leaving prison and entering Spawn's home for rehabilitation. Today, it serves 400 women and 90 of their children. The Lovelady Center resides in a converted hospital that has dorm-style rooms, play areas, and schoolrooms for the children, a worship center, classrooms, counseling areas, and on-site work opportunities. A book has been published about Spawn's story titled Miss Brenda and the Loveladies, which will soon be made into a major motion picture. The Lovelady Center program was affordable and completely changed the life of a family member dear to me, said Lisa Hoffman, prior art gallery curator, who has personally visited and volunteered at the center multiple times. Her accomplishments throughout the program and post-graduation are impressive. I pinch myself every day, she said. The exhibition will, f- will display 43 oil portraits by 40 nationally and internationally renowned artists. Beverly McNeil of Portraits Inc. in Birmingham wanted to help support and bring exposure to the Lovelady Center. Using her connections in the fine art realm, McNeil organized the award-winning portrait artists who donated their time to paint the recovered women, their children, and the faithful staff. The exhibit has since traveled to the Salmagundi Club in New York City and the Booth Western Art Museum in Cartersville, Georgia, before arriving at the Pryor Art Gallery. Included in the exhibit is Spahn's portrait of John Howard Sandin, a Connecticut-based master portraitist who passed in 2022. Sandin, one of the nation's leading portrait artists for four decades, served as the art director for Billy Graham prior to launching his career as a portraitist. Sandin received the John Singer Sargent Medal for a Lifetime Achievement Award and painted the official White House portraits of President George W. Bush and First Lady Laura Bush. His depiction of McNeil displays her her gentle nature, and warmth. Two of the accomplished artists in the exhibit are Middle Tennessee natives, Michael Shane Neal and Dawn E. Whitelaw, both of whom are Lipscomb University graduates. Neal has painted Sandra Day O'Connor, George H.W. Bush, and Richard Thomas from the show The Waltons. Whitelaw is with OnTrack Studios in Franklin and is an award-winning plein air artist. She is a member of the Portrait Society of America, Oil Painters of America, and Plein Air Painters of the Southeast. The caliber of oil paintings in this exhibition normally are only seen in private collections, museums, and places like the White House, Hoffman stated. We are thrilled to have this exhibition in our own backyard of Columbia to serve our students and our community, she said. The exhibit is free and open to the public. The prior Art Gallery is in the Wayman L. Hickman Building on the Columbia campus, located at 1665 Hampshire Pike, and is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. The opening reception, which is also free and open to the public, will be March 16th from 5 to 7 p.m., in conjunction with the Performance Series Appalachian Roadshow Concert. For information about the First Farmers Performance Series and tickets, you can visit www.columbiastate.edu forward slash performance dash series. For additional information about this exhibit, you can visit www.columbiastate.edu forward slash prior gallery or on Facebook at Columbia State PAG. For more information about the prior Art Gallery, contact Huffman at 931-540-2883 or email her at lhoffman5 at columbiastate.edu. And now your hometown memorials, sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home. Mrs. Griffitha Glasser Cook, 79, a resident of Columbia, passed away on February 24th. The funeral service celebrating Griffey's life will be held at Zion Presbyterian Church located at 2322 Zion Road in Columbia on Wednesday, March 1st at 1 p.m. Burial will follow in Zion Cemetery. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors are assisting the family with arrangements. Hometown Memorials is sponsored by Oaks and Nichols Funeral Home, serving with dignity and consideration for over 150 years.
1: When people come here, I hope they feel like they're working with a person who's just like family. And by the time they leave here, I hope they feel like they're a part of our family.
3: What I like most is when a family is leaving, they can say thanks. You made something we thought would be hard easier than we thought it would be. Not that we made it easy.
0: We made it easier. Oaks and Nichols Funeral Directors, 320 West 7th Street in Columbia. Since 1856, people you can rely on. For your southern Middle Tennessee weather, we will have a beautiful summer-like day today with plenty of sunshine and a high of 77 degrees. Winds will be out of the southwest at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, we can expect a few passing clouds and a low of 53. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll cover state and national news that affect you. You're listening to southern Middle Tennessee today.
4: Family
0: first. This is Chris Dowdy from Tennessee Children's Home. We are overwhelmed by the support through our move to our new Spring Hill campus. We are excited about the new opportunities that these buildings will provide us to serve at-risk youth. We ask that you will continue to pray for us and those that we serve. We still need your continued support. Visit our website, tennesseechildrenshome.org, to make a donation or learn more about what we're doing to serve at-risk youth in Tennessee.
1: We're known for a lot of great things here in Tennessee, but there's one thing we've got to fix now. Too often, criminals use stolen guns in violent crimes. I'm TBI Director David Rausch. Help us prevent gun thefts. When you're not carrying, secure your guns, not only at home, but also in your car. Secure it. Lock it. Help stop it. Take the extra
2: step. Together, we can keep Tennessee safe. Brought to you by the TBI, Tennessee Association of Broadcasters, and this station. Funded under an agreement with the State of Tennessee Department of Finance and Administration, Office of Criminal Justice Programs. Supported by Award 2020 MUBX 0051. Awarded by the Bureau of Justice Assistance, Office of Justice Programs, USDOJ. (laughs) Welcome
0: back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today on WKOM 101.7 and WKRM 103.7, your hometown source for news and information. I'm Tom Price. And now news from around the state. Nashville International Airport parking rates will increase by $2 beginning on March 1. The funds will be used to pay for rising maintenance, operations, and expansion costs, airport officials said. It's the third fee increase in the past three years due to high inflation and construction costs. Economy lot rates, which were $15 in 2021, will increase from $16 to $18 per 24-hour block. Covered lots facing the terminal will increase to $28, and valet parking will be $38 a day. Airport officials said the prices are still competitive with other regional airports, and they have little competition with off-airport lots. The fee increases come as the airport's list of renovations continues to grow, with passengers' rates rising faster than aggressive projections. The airport anticipates growing from 18.4 million passengers in the fiscal year ending June 30th of 2022 to 21 million on June 30th of 2023. In January, BNA's new terminal debuted its grand lobby as part of a $1.4 billion renovation project that will be complete later this year. A new international arrivals terminal, shopping and dining center, on-site hotel, and a satellite terminal will be revealed in September. A third parking garage will also open later this year, completing the terminal parking expansion project. A second phase of construction costing more than $1 billion is also underway. Airlines continue to increase service from Nashville and the airport is courting more nonstop international destinations. This month, WestJet announced nonstop service to Vancouver in May, giving Nashville nonstop access to Canada's top five markets for the first time. The airport is largely privately funded with parking, concessions, and airline service fees. Standard & Poor's recently upgraded BNA's long-term credit rating from AA- to A+, reflecting BNA's strong financial management. The U.S. Department of Treasury announced yesterday the approval of up to $116.9 million in funding under the State Small Business Credit Initiative, or SSBCI, to support small business growth in Tennessee. Small businesses are the backbone of our economy, and they play a central role in building strong communities throughout Tennessee, said Tennessee Governor Bill Lee. I'm pleased that this funding will help expand the growth of small businesses and encourage interested Tennesseans to utilize these funds to promote economic growth in our state, he said. The Tennessee Department of Economic and Community Development will operate an initiative called Fund Tennessee, which is made up of a suite of programs from venture capital to loan programs and technical assistance. TNECD allocated $46.9 million for the debt program that will work with participating community development financial institutions and minority depository institutions to serve rural or urban areas of the state, including underserved communities. With one of the top business climates in the country, Tennessee is the ideal location to create, launch, and grow a business, said Tennessee Economic and Community Development Commissioner Stuart McWhorter. We appreciate the U.S. Department of Treasury for approving this funding, which will support and expand Tennessee's small businesses and entrepreneurial ecosystem. Tennessee Economic and Community Development, in partnership with Launch TN, allocated $70 million for the program, which is focused on direct investments in early-stage startups, along with a fund of funds strategy investing in emerging venture, venture capital fund managers. Access to investment capital has been a challenge in Tennessee, so these funds will fill in immediate demand and support growth in startups that are primed to reach their potential, said Launch TN CEO Lindsey Cox. We are eager to help founders across the state access this capital so they can continue innovating, they said. Let's take one last break. When we come back, we'll cover the final story of the day. You're listening to Southern Middle Tennessee Today.
4: Columbia's own 7th Annual Mid-State Classic Collegiate Softball Tournament returns March 15th at the Ridley Sports Complex. Come see the Lady Volunteers face off against Austin Peay starting at 5.30 p.m. Opening game, Columbia State versus Motlow College at 1 p.m. Food trucks on site and parking is free. Tickets are $10 and sold exclusively online at columbiatn.com slash midstateclassic. Or check out the City of Columbia Parks and Recreation today. The Mid-State Classic, March 15th. See you at the game.
0: Welcome back to Southern Middle Tennessee Today, and now our final story. The Doobie Brothers are continuing their 50th anniversary tour with additional stops, including one at First Bank Amphitheater in Franklin. Doobie Brothers will hit the stage on Thursday, August 31st at 7.30 p.m., bringing together guitarist Tom Johnston, Pat Simmons, and John McPhee, and singer Michael McDonald for the first time in 25 years. Tickets go on sale on Friday, March 3rd at 10 a.m. Presale begins on Thursday, March 2nd with code OPENER.